My name is Ron Cole. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside. Welcome to all of you. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 11, Luke tells us this. He says, one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. On the one hand, that's not much, right? Okay, so Jesus prayed. But on the other hand, what, what I want you to start thinking about right now is that, is that this was just normal activity for Jesus. Okay, this was something, it wasn't something he did rarely. It was something he did all the time. If we read the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, we see time and time again that Jesus goes apart by himself to pray. Jesus goes on a mountainside to pray. Jesus goes here to pray. Jesus leads his disciples in prayer. For, for, for Jesus, prayer was absolutely essential. He was constantly coming into the presence of his Father, and he was, he was pouring out his heart, and he was listening. Prayer was absolutely essential for Jesus, and the disciples wanted to learn. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. They recognized that, that what made Jesus go, what gave him his strength, what gave him his power was, was this connection, this relationship he had with the Father. And they looked at it and they said, teach us to have that relationship. Teach us to pray. And, and, and I, we have to be a little careful with it because it's an argument from silence. But we, we never see the disciples saying, Lord, teach us to walk on water. We don't see the disciples saying, Lord, teach us to do the thing with the bread where you multiply it and feed all sorts of people. No, we see them saying, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray because they recognized that that was at the heart of, of who Jesus was. That's what gave him strength. And, and so those two facts, that, that prayer is essential for God's people and that we all need to learn to pray, those two facts lead us into this series and what we're going to do for the next several weeks all right, because what we're going to do for the next several weeks is, is look to the Old Testament to learn to pray. We've looked not too long ago at how Jesus answered their question, but now I want us to go back to the Old Testament. We're going to look at four prayers. They're powerful prayers of the Old Testament. And as we go through these prayers, as we look at them, as we hear these stories, I, I want to invite you to kind of be focused on two things. First of all, what does each story teach us about prayer? What does it teach us about what it means to be people who pray, to walk with God, to have conversations, relationship with God? And then second, I want us to be looking as we go through this at, at who is God? What does this story, this prayer teach us about who God is? The, the first one we're going to start with is a powerful prayer from a woman by the name of Hannah. Hannah in the Old Testament, and what she prays is a prayer of deep, deep Pain. We see Hannah praying in the midst of chaos and struggle and difficulty and hurt and grief and loss and lost dreams and so many things. And she brings out a prayer of deep pain and she teaches us how to pray when we are at those places of great loss. The story is found in 1 Samuel 1 verses 1 through 20, all right? And let me give you a little bit of context of what's going on here. Hannah was around Israel. She was a, a, a child of God, uh, one of the Israelites. And, and so Hannah was a, a child of God. And, and, and it was between the time of the Exodus when God had pulled his people out of Egypt. And then also it was before there were kings. All right. Uh, it, it, before King Saul, before King David, it was in the time they call the time of the judges. And it was, it was a pretty difficult time for Israel. Because there was a lot of darkness. There were occasional bright lights. There were people who, who led as good judges. But for the most part, it was really negative. In fact, Judges ends. The last verse of Judges says this. In those days, Israel had no king. 
Everyone did as they saw fit, or in the older translations, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so as a nation, Israel is not responding to God, is not coming into God's presence, is not deep in a prayer life or worship of any type. Some people were, okay? There were some people who were being faithful. And Elkanah, the husband of Hannah, and Hannah herself were faithful people. But for the most part, the land was... It just wasn't really in tune with who God was and what God was doing. Now, I'm not going to read all 20 verses at the start here. We're going to just go through the story and, and pick up lessons as we go, all right? And so um, we're going to do this. If you, if you want to picture it in your mind, for me, as I thought about it, it breaks down into four parts, four scenes, if you would. And, and this will help us just kind of see how we move through this story and what we learn, again, about prayer and about who God is. All right, so scene one, the first eight verses, Hannah's pain. We start with this. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. This is Hannah's husband, Elkanah. What we know about him, and I'll just tell you this right now, is is that he was not a a big, important guy. He was not a leader of an important family. He was not a a judge. He was not a high priest. He was not somebody who a lot of people would have known. He was just a normal guy. He was just a normal guy, but he was faithful. He had two wives, which was part of his problem. One was called Hannah, the other Penina. And, 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 and Hannah, by being listed first, was probably the first of his wives. And then he also married Penina. Penina. It wasn't that unusual in that day. Penina had children. And here's Hannah's pain because she had none. That was the struggle. Some of you know this struggle. The struggle of not being able to conceive. The struggle of not being able to have a child. And this went on for year after year after year. She poured out her heart to God year after year and said, God, I, I just, and she wasn't being selfish, but I just want to have a child, God. I want to, I want to be able to raise a son, a child for you, God. I, I, I want this so bad. And she had prayed and she had begged, but, but God didn't open up her womb. And, and, and that's part of what made it so difficult because she was a person of great faith. She really genuinely believed that God could do this. And it just broke her heart that she could not have a child. Elkanah, as I said, was faithful. He was a good guy, and regularly he brought the entire family up to worship year after year. Verse 3, this man, Elkanah, went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. So every year, Every year, Elkanah would go from, from Ramatham, and it's probably, if you want some geography real quick, if Jerusalem is here, Shiloh would be about 20 miles north of that. And at this point, Jerusalem really isn't a city at all. It, it's not the temple worship. It's, that's not there yet. Solomon hasn't built a temple yet. Shiloh is the main worship place. And Ramah, or Ramatham, where uh, Elkanah, from where he comes, that, that's, that's the main place. Ramah is about 20 miles away, rather, excuse me, and then Shiloh is the main place of worship. And every year, they would go up and and they would worship and they would offer the sacrifices. And and there's something interesting to note here. They would offer them worship and praise and sacrifices to the Lord Almighty. 
In the Bible, this is the first time this title appears. We sang it in a song earlier, but this is the first time that this title appears. Not in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Now in 1 Samuel, this is the first time God is called the Lord Almighty. And what it means is it's in Hebrew, the Lord Sabaoth, or the Lord of Heaven's armies. All right, it is the Lord of the heavenly host. It is a term about power. It is a term about that he is the lion of Judah, that God is in control, that God is powerful. And that's the God we know about. That's the God that, that Hannah believes in. That's the God that Elkanah worships. He is the Lord Almighty. He is the Lord of heavenly hosts and nothing can stop him. Again, that's part of what brings us pain, right? If we take the Bible seriously and we have something that we know is not outside of God's will, we know it's a good thing, having a baby, restoring a marriage, doing whatever it is, a child being healed, and we beg and we plead and we say, God, you are the Lord Almighty. You are the, the Lord of the heavenly host. You have armies of angels, and, and Father, we know you can do this. And yet, it doesn't happen. Every year, Elkanah would go to worship. He would bring his wives and Hanina's children. And he would, he would offer a fatted calf or whatever it was. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would offer it. What would happen is they would, they would go and then the, the place, the worship, the Lord's house at Shiloh would have an area that you'd enter into. It might have actually been the tabernacle. Maybe it was a, a literal building at this point, but you could enter in and then you would offer your sacrifice, whatever animal you had brought. The priest would put it on the altar. It would burn and, and the fatty portions would go up to God. The smoke, the aroma would go up to God. The fragrance of that would go up to God. The priest would take some for the priests to eat and then would give some to the family. So whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife, Panina, and to all her sons and daughters. Again, he's a good guy. He worships God. He cares. And so they, they would go in, they would offer the sacrifice, and then they would go out, and there would be an area outside of the, the Lord's house, outside of the tabernacle, where they could then they could meet, eat and, and, and just be together. And, and Elkanah would give meat a double or give a portion to to Panina and to each one of the kids but to Hannah but to Hannah he gave a double portion gave her twice as much because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb this is important to recognize again that, that Elkanah, he loved Hannah so much. Whether or not she had kids, he loved her and he just wanted to take away her pain. And so he gives her a double portion of the meat. Here, look, you are so special to me. You mean so much to me. But the Lord had closed her womb. And the storyteller wants us to know again that this is God. This is God has done this. Now, very important very important for all of us to get this. We don't know why. When you are in the midst of that, I, again, we, it, dealing with those of you who have struggled with trying to get pregnant, dealing with all of us as we've had other losses, as we've prayed deeply for things, God, why don't you do this? And it can be so easy to say, God, what, are you telling me I'd be a bad mom? Are you telling me I'm not a faithful person? Have I not prayed enough? No, Hannah is is probably one of, if not the most faithful woman in the Old Testament. 
The prayer she's going to offer in chapter 2 is one that's longer than any other woman's prayer. I mean, she is so faithful. She knows that he is the Lord Almighty. He is Lord Sabaoth. He is the Lord of heaven's armies. She believes all of that. It's not that she lacks faith. It's not that she is being selfish. Because she's willing to give this child back. That's not, we don't know. And in some ways that adds to the pain. We don't know why this isn't going right. We know God can. We know God cares. Things were not just painful interior for Hannah. It it was not just that interior pain that drove her uh, to weep and, and, and to cry. It was also Penina. So I think Penina knew that, that Elkanah, Elkanah loved Hannah. Penina knew that, and, 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 and Penina knew she was around to have babies. And that's kind of all she was good for. At least that's what she felt like. And so she was sort of in the background. She was sort of there. And it bothered her to see Elkanah give that double portion to Hannah. It bothered her to see Hannah getting all this attention. It bothered her. And so what did she do? She started to just attack Hannah. All right, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, Penina, kept provoking her, kept taunting her in order to irritate her. Oh, so much meat. Hannah, won't that be nice to share with you? Oh, that's right, you don't have any kids. Oh, I'm so tired. Oh, but that's right, you don't know what that's like because you don't have any kids, do you? And she would take every opportunity This isn't just being foolish and saying something foolish. We'll see Elkanah do that. But this is being nasty and mean. And and it just tore Hannah apart again, year after year after year. This is not somebody who's like 21 and says, I can't have a baby. This is somebody who's been after this year after year after year and has prayed and begged and done whatever she can do. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. And that's why, interestingly, in some ways, that that double portion, sometimes this happens, right? Elkanah's trying to say, I love you, honey. But it becomes... (laughs) becomes a reminder of what she doesn't have. She doesn't want a double portion. She wants a baby. And to see that, I mean, she's weeping, she's not eating, and it just tears her up. And Elkanah, I mean, he's a good guy, but he just doesn't get it. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Elkanah, just shut up. Elkanah, say, honey, I don't care if you have a child or not. You are precious to God and you are precious to me. But no, he says, come on, aren't I enough? You should be happy with me. I, I love you. I gave you double portion. Come on, get over it. It doesn't help. And there Hannah is, broken and, and hurting and weeping. And that leads her to pray. Uh, that leads her to pray. The next section, Hannah prays, verses 9 through 16, the next scene here. Once, it happens at Shiloh again. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. All right, so they've offered the sacrifice. They've gone around. Han- uh, Elkanah has, has handed out the, the portions of the meat, right? He's given Hannah the double portion. Panina has dug into her. She's weeping. She's crying. She's not eating. She's pushing it away. And then she stands up. 
And she goes back into the Lord's house. Only time we have a woman doing this on her own. She goes back into the Lord's house and she's going to pray. She's going to pray. Now, Eli, we're told, Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. So again, if we picture it, if this is where the, the, the Lord's house is, this is where they were eating. Eli, who would have been between 80 and 90 years old at this point, Eli is sitting down in a chair, not on the ground. It was a sign of authority. A chair was in those days. But he was sitting on a chair as the retired high priest. And he's there to answer questions. He's there to help. But he's also there to keep an eye on the Lord's house. That's what he does. We're going to come back to verse 11, but let's uh, go on. Uh, or, or, you know, first verse 10. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And, and, and so when you picture Hannah in this prayer, I, I, I looked at some children's story Bibles about this story, and they all saw Hannah is very beautiful and, and quiet woman praying. That was, I don't think that's what it, listen to the word. She's weeping bitterly. She's down on her face. And you know how most of the time when we cry, we really don't look that beautiful. That's her. Her face is distorted. She's frustrated and angry and sad and broken and it's all just there and 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 she's just before God said God I don't get it I don't understand it I don't like this I don't know what's going on but she wasn't saying it out loud let's jump to verse 11 12 we'll, we'll come back to 11 as she kept on praying to the Lord Eli observed her mouth right so he's at the door and he's watching her and he's he's looking and he's watching her mouth because she was praying in her heart and her lips were moving but her voice was not heard I picture her just laying on the ground and you can hear sobs and you can hear moans and you can hear gasps and so on. And, 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 and she's crying out in her heart, but all you see is her lips moving, not anything being said out loud. And Eli watches this. And, and you think about Hannah. Panina abuses her, mocks her, taunts her. Elkanah misses it and now her pastor misses it too. That happens. That happens sometimes. Eli thought she was drunk. This woman is poor. And he fails to recognize that she is just deep in her pain. He thought she was drunk and he got mad at her. He said, I said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Hannah says, no, not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking beer or wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. That is at the heart of what this prayer is. It's just, it's just Hannah pouring out her soul. God, why is this this way? What is going on with this? I don't understand this. I know you can. I don't understand why you won't. And, and, and she's not necessarily saying much of this part, but this is the majority of the prayer. And it's just groans and grasps and, and in her heart and mumblings and all of that stuff. And she is just pouring out her heart to God. In a sense, she doesn't know any words to say. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. What does this teach us about prayer? There are three things. Three things at this point that I want to say this teaches about prayer. And this is so important that when we get this, that we get this right. First of all, we don't need to hide our feelings from God. 
We, we do that with each other, right? I don't want to make you feel bad. I don't want to put my burden on you. And so I'm going to say I'm doing okay. I'm going to say I'm doing fine. I might say, yeah, it's kind of tough, but I'm not going to let you in. I'm not going to let you see me. I'm not going to be that vulnerable with you. But when it comes to God, I mean, Hannah just, I think she is just there on her face and is just, God, I am so angry. I'm so angry that this isn't happening. I've done nothing to deserve this. God, I'm so angry. God, I'm so scared. Is Elkanah going to sometimes get rid of me? Am I just worthless? God, I feel so empty. God, I'm just frustrated. I'm guilty. And friends, we need to understand that in our prayers, we can pour it out before God. You don't need to worry about what you're feeling. The Bible gives us clear examples time and time again of people who came into God's presence and said, God, you're dropping the ball. God, this should not be this way. God, I'm so scared. God, please do something. And, and, and that is so powerful. In fact, I, I want to suggest, and this is the second thing, that, that the power of our prayers is not determined so much by the beauty of our words, but by the brokenness of our hearts. The power of our prayers is not dependent on the beauty of our words. Sometimes we get that, and we talk about praying, and when we, when we think about teach us to pray, we say, give me good words to say. The Bible makes it clear. The beauty of our words, it's nice when we have beautiful words. And, and, and that can be good, and, and we can do that. And the Psalms give us all sorts of beautiful words to use in prayer. But it is not really a matter of the beauty of our words. It's the brokenness of our hearts. It is the depth of our pain. It is the reality of our recognizing our absolute and utter dependence on God. Hannah knows she can't solve this. Elkanah Akana can't solve this. Panina can't solve this. Eli can't solve this. God alone can solve this. And she knows that dependence and that brokenness. And so she pours out her heart. We don't have to hide our feelings from God. And, and, and at those times, and again, I, I think about it. I mean, Jerry Karsten is on a, is on a ventilator right now. And, 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 and that's serious. And, and I just thought, God, please, please, and just the need, the brokenness. You think about others who are facing such difficult times. Think of the times that we have prayed for people who had sick kids or a sick spouse. And our hearts were just broken. That's, friends, powerful prayer. That is powerful prayer. And the third thing kind of flows out of that, and that is that sometimes the most powerful prayers have no words. Sometimes we don't even have words to say, words to mumble. Sometimes the most powerful prayers are just, are just groans. The Apostle Paul recognizes this in the New Testament, Romans 8, verse 26. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The Spirit sometimes is need, but just all we can do is just say, God, I am broken and shattered, or God, I am angry. Because I know you should do better. Again, this is a prayer of faith. When we say, God, I'm angry because you dropped the ball, it's saying we know who you are. You are the Lord Almighty. You are the Lord of heavenly hosts. You have all the power in the universe. You can do whatever you want. You can straighten it out. God, you can end COVID right now. God, I don't understand why you don't, but God, we come before you. Sometimes the most powerful prayers have no words. 
You say, I didn't even pray. Yes, you did. If you're pouring out your soul to the Lord, then that is deep and powerful prayer. That's at the heart of what Hannah prays. That's it. She just groans and she pours out her soul to the Lord. And, and, And we learn, again, not to be afraid to pour out our hearts to God. We learn that the power of prayer comes, again, more from the the brokenness of our hearts than the beauty of our words. And we learn that ultimately we don't even have to have words, that the Holy Spirit will take care of us. Hannah pours out her soul. Hannah gives that to God. And you and I can do that as well. She does one other thing. And this is the only place that we get any words in this prayer. I, I, I think it's a, a secondary part of the prayer, but it's the only place where we get any words. And what she does here is she... She affirms her commitment to God. She's not making a new commitment. She's not manipulating. But she says, God, I promise you this, no matter what, this child is yours. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, again, Lord Almighty, you are the one who is powerful. You can do this. You are the Lion of Judah. If you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give me a son. If you will give me a son, Father, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. Probably a Nazarite vow. Some of you know that. It's a, it was set aside, somebody to be used by God. And on the one hand, you can say, boy, that sounds kind of manipulative. God, if you do this, then I'll do this. But it's so consistent with who Hannah was and is. This has been her prayer all along. She would have said this if she'd had a baby right away. She is that kind of faithful woman. She is that kind of person. And even though she's angry and hurt and so on, she still says, God, I will trust you. And so that becomes part of our prayer as well. Hannah pours out her soul and Hannah affirms her commitment to God. And it's appropriate for us to say, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. That's what this is saying. God, I still know you are. Even even if we don't get what we ask for, Lord, we know that you are God. doesn't mean she's happy and just cheerful all the time, but she has given it to God. And then she does an amazing thing. She leaves it there. She leaves it there. Verses 17 and 18. Eli answers. Again, she's just said, I'm not drunk. I'm just pouring out my soul. I'm praying in my grief and agony. Eli answered, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. This time Eli gets it right. And he recognizes it. And he says, go in peace. May the God of Israel. Interesting. Why the God of Israel? Eli would have known that he is also Lord Almighty, that he is Lord of Heaven's armies. He would have affirmed that in a heartbeat. But he kind of wants to say, remember the God of Israel. Why? Because the God of Israel was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But for Hannah, it was the God of Sarah, right? Whose womb the Lord did not open until she was 90. And the God of Rebekah who was into her 40s before she had her first child, the God of Rachel, who was, again, well along in years, prayed for years. You see, our God is is the Lord of heavenly hosts, but our God is also a God who brings life out of death, who brings life out of dead places, who can restore all things, who can make all things new. Now, this isn't to promise that God will do this all the time, but one day he will make all things new. 
May the God of Israel, yes, the Lord Almighty, but the God who reaches out to his people who are broken and heals them, may he give you your wish in this life or certainly in the next. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And and then this. Then she went her way and ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. She went her way and she ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Now again, I don't think she was happy-go-lucky. But I think she had done one of the most difficult things. She had come into God's presence. She had poured out her heart. She had said, God, I know you can. I know you care. And then she left it there as best she could. And again, she couldn't completely forget that. That's no way. None of us can on those sorts of things. But she cast her cares on him. Again, Peter, 1 Peter 5, verse 7 says this, cast all your anxiety, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And that is not easy. I'm good at casting my cares on God and then grabbing them back. There's a chorus we used to sing and maybe we ought to sing it a little more I'm getting old but it's so good I cast all my cares upon you I lay all of my burdens down at your feet and anytime I don't know what to do I will cast all my cares upon you and we can do that That's a powerful prayer to just say, God, I cast it on you and I I will trust you. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean all my problems go away. I mean, at this point, in a sense, at this point, the main part of the story is done. Hannah doesn't know. She doesn't know if God will give her a baby. But she knows he can. He is the Lord Almighty and he knows he cares. He is the God of Israel. And that is enough for today. And the same is true of us. The last scene of the story, the Lord does remember Hannah. He is that God who does that, who reminds us that one day he will make all things new. Verses 19 and 20. Early the next morning, they arose, they worshiped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah or Ramathayim. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. And Samuel will go on to be a great leader, one of the greatest leaders of God's people. And we see God doing that time and time again. From an empty place, God brings salvation. From an empty womb, God brings new life. That is who he is. As I read that verse, it struck me. So in the course of time, it came to pass. And I thought, yeah. We don't know if this was right after they got back that she got pregnant or if it was a little time later. Seems like it was fairly soon. God doesn't always work on our time, but he works in his time. And as I thought about the course of time, I thought of Paul's words to the Galatians. But when the time, the set time, had fully come, God sent not just any boy, but his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. God sent another baby, Jesus Christ. 
And he is the one who gave his life on the cross to wash away our sins and then to make all things new. So let me wrap this up. Our God, one day will make all things new. Where we are now is in a sense similar to where Hannah is. We are living with a God who can do all things. We are living with a God who cares. But we are also living in a broken world. And some of us are at that place of really struggling. We know that God will one day make all things new. He is the Lord Almighty. He is the God of Israel. He can and he cares. But while we wait... For that day when Jesus comes back, God invites us to pour out our hearts to him, to put our trust in him. Friends, this gift of prayer allows us to just come. And as Jesus did, sometimes to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But my God, still I will trust in you. Let's pray together. Father, we need to know that you are Lord Sabaoth from age to age the same and you will win the battle. Father, for some of us right now, we're struggling because it doesn't seem like we're winning like you're winning. We're facing things that are just tearing our hearts apart. Father, give us permission to pour out our hearts to you but also to affirm that you are God and you will take care of us. So we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Make all things new. We worship you. We lay ourselves down. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.